Welcome to Your Brain On, a podcast about the neuroscience of everything. I'm Aisha Sherzai. And I'm Dean Sherzai. In celebration of Super Bowl season, we're going to explore the fascinating intersection of brain science and football fandom, the social benefits of bonding over love of a team, and a brief history of sports fanaticism. This is Your Brain on Football. It's September. The NFL, or the National Football League season, is underway. For the next six months, from the first game through the big finale, you'll be cheering on your team, applauding every touchdown, mourning every loss. It is a half a year of highs and lows that's deeply rooted in American culture and firmly intertwined with how we think, feel, and socialize. The social cognition sparked by watching sports with fellow fans activates the brain's reward systems in an almost primordial way, releasing neurotransmitters like dopamine, often associated with pleasure, and oxytocin, commonly called the love hormone. The sense of belonging we feel through such shared experiences is an evolutionary phenomenon that can be considered a core human need, like food, water, and shelter. We also have a profound capacity for empathy, which which can transport us into the shoes and minds of players we're watching. This can happen so unconsciously, we might not realize we are reflecting such thoughts in our language when we use group pronouns to talk about what's happening on the field. We can win this thing. We'll crush them. Super Bowl, here we come. This transformative experience combined with the release of dopamine and oxytocin can contribute to a rush of joy when your team scores. Oh, we're all familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Similarly, when the team we support begins to lose, the same regions of the brain that light up when we experience physical pain will start to activate. All of this manifests in physiological reactions that any sports fan will be familiar with. Increased heart rate, rapid breathing, and even sweating. These natural responses to perceived stress or excitement are tied closely to the limbic system, where emotions are processed by the thalamus, the relay center of the brain, and the hypothalamus, which plays a crucial role in hormone regulation by signaling the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland, in turn, releases various hormones into the bloodstream, affecting almost every system in the body. A study published in November of 2023, led by Francisco Mendieta, enrolled 43 males, all fans of two of the most popular Chilean football teams. 22 supported one team, 21 supported the other. They had fMRIs or functional MRIs, which can map neural activity by detecting changes in blood flow around the brain. The study found that when their team performed well, football fans' brains showed increased activity in the areas responsible for feeling rewarded. On the other hand, when their team was losing, parts of the brain linked to introspection became more active, possibly helping to lessen the disappointment of the loss. The brain regions that connect thoughts and emotions showed a noticeable slowdown, potentially reducing impulsive or aggressive reactions to mistakes or missed opportunities in the game. Wow, fascinating. Another study conducted in 2020 also used fMRIs to track the neural activity of football fans and found that sports devotees exhibited different patterns of neural activation and connectivity compared to non-fans, particularly in social scenarios. 
scenarios. This can manifest as heightened receptiveness to senses of reward and broadened emotional valence. That is the extent to which we perceive emotions as positive or negative. Essentially, our capacity to feel becomes intensified. Talking about football always reminds me of witnessing the World Cup football or soccer, you might say, as a child. Our living room would transform almost into a mini stadium, alive with the vibrant colors of Argentina's flags. My dad and his friends, their eyes were fixed on the television. They would erupt in cheers or groans with every twist and turn of the game. And for me as a kid, it was more than just watching soccer. It was almost an immersive cultural experience. The passion, the excitement, the collective anticipation of each goal, it was palpable. These moments connected us to Argentina, a country we admired, but we were thousands of miles away from it. And the neuroscience behind all of this is incredible. The communal joy and shared disappointments we experienced were not just emotional responses. They were neurologically ingrained reactions. Our brains were mirroring the emotions of those around us, creating a powerful sense of bonding and unity. Growing up in Pittsburgh was similar. In a city where sports are woven into the very fabric of the community, each game, be it football or otherwise, you know, hockey or baseball, was a unifying experience. It was an event. I remember the streets buzzing with excitement on game days. Families, friends gathered around televisions, the air heavy with anticipation. The Steelers, the Pirates, the Penguins, all these players we knew, Franco Harris, uh, Terry Bradshaw, and Mario Lemieux, and so many other players, they were part of our family. They were symbols of our city's spirit and resilience. Even in defeat, oh my goodness, and there were many of those, a sense of pride and camaraderie permeated throughout the city. That always fascinated me from a neurological perspective. The shared experiences, the collective ebbs and flows of success, they all contribute to a sense of communal identity and belonging that our minds absolutely crave. We mentioned in our episode, Your Brain on New Year's, that when we see in New Year with loved ones, our hippocampus, two thumb-shaped areas on the sides of your brain, which are key for memory, they light up as we reminisce about the past 12 months. This happens when we meet up with fellow fans and discuss famous games and iconic plays from sporting history too. It's a mental bridging of the past and the present. Amazing. That's so powerful. If you ask any Pittsburgh fan about the immaculate reception during the Steelers versus Oakland Raiders game in 1972, they'll remember vividly and might even have their own story about the day. Being a fan isn't about just supporting a team. It's about being part of a story. It ties together memories and relationships that are entrenched in the neurological foundations that make us who we are. And that's been true for all of human history. To the time machine? To the time machine it is. Long before the us and them of players and fans, in early hunter-gatherer societies, engaging in forms of play similar to team sports may have been an essential part of both social bonding and everyday survival. A 2018 study titled Toward a Natural History of Team Sports, which analyzed what we know about contact games in ancient societies, proposed that the motor skills we honed through such activities prepared us for hunting, foraging, 
fighting and engaging in warfare. The games, the hunts, and other pursuits like making cave paintings of animals that we still ponder the meaning of in modern times would have been, much like sports fandom is today, distinctly social and perhaps even celebratory phenomena. Fast forward thousands of years to ancient Greece, by which point our evolving and increasing complex brains had created civilizations, gods, social hierarchies, and such. 776 BC is widely accepted as the year the Olympics began, elevating sports from mere athletic competition to celebration of human prowess and tribute to the Greek deities. Athletes were revered as having achieved peak erity, a concept denoting excellence and fulfillment of potential. Similarly, in ancient Rome, sports and fandom took on a different dimension with the gladiatorial games. These games, often brutal, were not just entertainment. They were a tool for social control and a display of imperial power. The Colosseum was a microcosm of Roman life, a display of society's hierarchical structure and a celebration of military victories. In more recent millennia, the Mesoamerican ballgame, often called Poktapok in English, was imbued with religious and social significance. It's said that today's football fans treat the sports like a religion, but for civilizations like the Maya and the Aztecs, the ballgame's theological ties were quite literally religious in its origins. The grounds on which the games were played were often built and decorated to represent sun-moon cycles, the transition between life and death, assorted gods and ritual sacrifices. Agency detection, the human brain's inclination to seek purposeful meaning in every event and situation would have made the ball game incredibly important to Mesoamerican minds. Centuries later, we reach the modern era. Industrialization turns sports into a global phenomenon with internationally codified laws. Improvements in injury prevention and rehabilitation enables decades-long athletic careers. Evolving technology in times of relative peace nurture the entertainment factor of sports into trillion-dollar industries. Fandom becomes centered around teams which ignite our civic or national pride, or even individual players whose public personas we enjoy or whose belief systems and political affiliations we align with. Like those ancient sporting grounds, the stadiums where we gather in our millions to watch our teams play become spaces where social hierarchies can be both reinforced and transcended, where collective emotions are amplified and where we can fulfill that sense of belonging that our brains so crave. To delve further into the complex anthropological, sociological, and neuroscientific lattice of football and fandom, we're excited to welcome the episode's first guest. There's evidence, for example, from dance, large groups of people playing drums together or what have you, that when you're in a group of people, actually, when you're just with another person, your physiology synchronizes with theirs. That's Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, a distinguished psychologist and neuroscientist with expertise in the field of affective science. We asked her about the physiological effects of watching sports with others. 
If you like someone or you trust someone or you feel comfortable with someone, your physiology synchronizes. Your breathing starts to synchronize, which synchronizes heart rates. Even your movements start to synchronize a little bit. Babies synchronize to their mothers, but the extent to which a mother synchronizes to her baby is a really good indicator of how attached she is to that baby. And it correlates with biological indices that go along with secure attachment. So the way the brain regulates the body, it's trying to make things efficient. And regulation, I should point out, doesn't mean calming down. It could mean getting people worked up. The energy regulation that you're speaking to with a group, as your heart rate rises, as your hands start sweating, as you become more focused, as your breathing becomes faster, is it through the sympathetic parasympathetic system? There's both sympathetic and parasympathetic innervation of the heart. You can slow your heartbeat or raise your heartbeat by some combination of those two branches of the autonomic nervous system, right? When they're reciprocal, one goes up and the other goes down. That's probably the most metabolically efficient way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of aggression in certain parts of the world with sports, the hooliganisms and the violence and others. And in other places, it's completely different how it expresses itself in groups. What is it about sports or group activities like sports in fandom that manifest differently? These themes that cultures can be characterized with can be observed in the interactions between people. And that would that would also include sports. Football can be, a, in one team, can be a different culture than football in another team. People regulate each other's behaviors around a particular cultural set of themes. Earlier in this episode, we mentioned an interplay of the hypothalamus, the limbic system, and the pituitary. The hypothalamus regulates hormones by sending signals to the pituitary gland, a pea-sized mass at the base of the brain. The two are linked through a chain of blood vessels and nerves called the pituitary stalk. The hypothalamus is a part of your limbic system, which manages our behavioral and emotional responses. The limbic system is connected to both the nervous system, which sends messages back and forth between your brain and your body, and the endocrine system, which includes the pituitary gland and other hormone moderators. When you experience something highly emotional or stressful, like your football team winning or losing, your hypothalamus lets your pituitary gland know about it. In response, your pituitary gland releases hormones like the adrenocorticotropic hormone, which travels to the adrenal gland. Triangular blobs at the top of your kidneys, which govern the hormones that will affect, among other things, your blood pressure and how you react to stress. This, in turn, stimulates the release of cortisol, commonly known as the stress hormone, to help mobilize energy reserves and increase blood sugar levels so that your body is better prepared to respond to the source of your stress. In this case, the suspension of the game. This was observed in a study published in 2012, for example, which analyzed the release of testosterone and cortisol in Spanish soccer fans when they won the World Cup final against the Netherlands in 2010. Do you remember that, Dean? I do, I do. I might have had the same amount of cortisol as the players. That's the, the shocking part of this. Now, this stress response also manifests through heightened focus and attention. An intense Super Bowl showdown, for instance, may activate your sympathetic nervous system, which is perhaps best known for activating states of fight or flight to ready your body for perceived dangers. It's no surprise then that watching sports can be so exhilarating for fans. Okay, so let's bring all of this together. Our empathy systems putting us in the shoes of the players 
the deeply affecting social aspects of shared fandom, and the sharpened alertness defined by the limbic hypothalamic pituitary matrix, it's no wonder wins and losses can feel so personal. When your team bags a victory, our physiological reaction is comparable to what we experience when something boosts our self-esteem. And when your team faces defeat, ugh. Neural patterns can mirror those of grief. That's why I feel so bad for the health of the Browns fans. I had to say that as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Interestingly, studies have shown that the negative emotions we feel when our teams don't play as well can actually make us more susceptible to marketing messages. And as anyone who's ever watched an NFL game will know, more than a quarter of a game's runtime can be made of advertisements. There's a whole sector of ad industry focused on neuromarketing, a field at the intersection of neuropsychology and advertisement. It wouldn't be surprising if eventually we're shown different ads spots based on how our teams are doing at the time. Advertisers may not be able to know our exact emotions, but they can make pretty good predictions based on patterns of human behavior, especially in this era of AI. So now you know how being a fan of football or any sports really affects your brain. Let's talk about how we can apply this knowledge to our lives to enhance our experience as fans in a brain healthy way. One key benefit of sports fandom is, of course, the built-in, almost unavoidable social element. Watching games with friends or family can be a great way to strengthen social bonds. Engaging in discussions about games, sharing predictions, and having friendly debates can stimulate cognitive functions and promote emotional well-being. I think those are my favorite parts of the game, the family get-togethers and the discussions and the back-and-forth banter. Watching sports might inspire you to play too. It doesn't have to be anything intense. If you're able, just tossing a ball around during halftime can get your body moving, improve coordination, and of course, boost brain health. Or if you enjoy a more cerebral approach, fantasy football can be a fun way to engage with sports. Analyzing statistics and strategizing for upcoming matches can be a great mental exercise. You might also consider taking a mindful approach to how you actually watch the game. Pay attention to how you're feeling during each match. Recognize the emotions you're experiencing as the action unfolds and use deep breathing or other relaxation techniques if the stakes get high. This can help manage stress and keep your emotional response responses in check. I don't think any deep breathing is going to help me or, <laughs> or Alex during those stressful losses that Steelers experience. Oh I remember the hyperventilation during All those. All the time. It's been decades now and it's just not going away. So deep breathing, see how it works for you. Now, if you enjoyed the history section of this episode, there are a lot of fascinating books and documentaries about history and deeper strategy of football or any sports for that matter, which can be very enriching. Now, that's the cognitive activity component of using sports to build your memories, your, your executive function, and other aspects of your cognition. Read up on your favorite team's origins, get to know the intricate tactics of the game, and look up the stories of famous players. That's important because it's more than just a game. I mean, these people have gone through incredible trials and tribulations to get to where they are. There, are. there are human stories in all of this. Football or other sports can also be a gateway to community involvement, participating in fan clubs, attending local games, volunteering for sports-related community events are great ways to get that sense of belonging, which we mentioned is so crucial for our mental health. And remember, as with everything, balance is the key.
key. Enjoy the game, but also make time for other activities and interests. Diversifying your hobbies can prevent the potential downside of over-identifying with a sports team and keeping your brain stimulated in a broader sense. Before we wind down this incredibly feel-good episode about football, fandom, and how the social aspects of sports can greatly benefit the brain, we'd be amiss as doctors not to at least acknowledge that on the other side of our television screens, players are putting their brains and bodies at great risk whenever they head out onto the gridiron. Absolutely. Actually, to give you a peek behind the curtain of how we're working on this new show, we have a gigantic list of hundreds of topics for potential episodes and my goodness I get so excited about every single one I wish I had a clone to record an episode every single day nevertheless we had originally planned your brain on football as a two-parter with one episode about the fans and one episode about the players and while we were working on it it almost started to feel like the fans episode was overwhelmingly positive and optimistic and the players episode was a little serious too serious for that matter and it had to be to talk about brain health in regards to football players is unfortunately to talk about head injuries so we made the editorial decision to focus on the topic of football fandom for now and later we'll have a dedicated episode on the neuroscience of being a player and an athlete in general yes and there's certainly a feel-good silver lining in the materials we'd written for the players episode because the leaps and bounds that have been made in how technology policy and neuroscience protects athletes brains is astounding We can't wait to revisit the subject in a future episode. Now we're excited to welcome a very special guest to your brain on podcast. Alex, thank you so much for making the time to speak with us on the podcast. I hope you liked dinner. Of course. Yeah. Dinner was amazing. That's Alex, our son. As a lifelong Steelers fan, he had some interesting perspectives on the cultural and psychological intersections of football fandom. So this session is about fandom, being a fan. And and we could not think of anyone better than you because recently, you know how on Facebook, these pictures from the past come up <laughs> and the funniest picture ever oh, man. I, I could imagine. I think you were seven years old and the Steelers had just lost. I took a picture of you. Your face was turned toward the wall and <laughs> looking at the corner of the wall for maybe 20 minutes just crying because they <laughs> lost. And that, to me, is the epitome of what sports fans go through day in and day out. And we put ourselves through it knowing that there is no apex. You, you go up and then even at your peak, you're going to fall down again eventually anyway. So, so what is your experience with all this? It's really funny. So um, I became a fan because of you, Dad. You grew up in Pittsburgh, so naturally you were a Steelers fan. And you passed that on to me. The common theme has always been when we lose, sports don't matter. It's not important in our life. Focus on your academics. When we win, go all out, go crazy. <laughs> that's right. It's the most important thing in the world. Yeah, that's Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's a really good balance. It's very interesting that you said that without you actually hearing us discuss the neuroscience in the background during our dinners, but when they've done functional MRI studies of the brain, fans' brains actually suppress or rationalize losses in a way to reduce the pain that they could experience. It's almost becoming very logical and trying to find solace in other things. But when it's a win, it's deep, deep pleasure. So you've experienced that in real life. 
<laughs> yeah, I've I've seen it, especially online. Sports culture online is really funny because every fan approaches their team in a different way. The contenders are obviously happy because they're contending for championships. The low tier teams are happy because they're rebuilding. Their teams are getting younger. They're going after prospects in the draft. And then the mid tier teams are really good at deluding themselves into thinking they are contenders or thinking that they have a chance to reset. It's just a hilarious dynamic at play because realistically, there's only like two teams that have a chance every year but everyone is still so involved in the discourse the psychology of that is just remarkable teams like the jets you and i were talking about this that that they you ha- what did you say that they haven't been in in a playoff yeah in- the longest the longest playoff drought in in the nfl and funniest part of that the last time they were in the playoffs they lost to us the steelers in the asc championships so. oh my goodness <laughs> and yet they have a very strong fandom their fans follow them everywhere even beyond new york it's a mass delusion isn't it for all of us yeah as good as fans are at being optimistic they are just as good at being pessimistic there's a lot of joy that comes in being pessimistic because fans who don't have the luxury of enjoying a win have the luxury of enjoying being right yes i think that the thing that's attractive about all this is not the ups and downs. of course the ups are definitely attractive but it it couldn't be the sole thing because it's non-sustainable even the best of teams they they fall it's the community aspect of it it's the connection it's the common rise or the common fall and the conversations that you have with groups that are with you that you take community in that somebody actually likened it to the Stockholm syndrome the teams are the captors and then the rest are the captivated you psychologically force yourself to align yourself to that because now you're part of it the bounding agent is community mm-hmm. yes in the English Premier League you see chants break out in the stadiums all the time they have these little songs for like the openings of games for different players every sport has some form of community and that's what drives it forward Mm. yeah it's a microcosm of life isn't it rituals that communities create common language that they create common dances that they create it's almost like odyssean journey yet it's collapsed within four hours or 26 hours in baseball i'm I'm joking it's it's not that 26 hours but it feels like 26 (laughs) hours i know i'm gonna get a lot of hate from baseball fans Uh, and i think about it's like we're moving a ball from here to there from this (laughs) hole to that hole from this basket to that basket yet we've made a living micro cosm out of this which is remarkable yeah yeah definitely another aspect of sports is the idolization and the hero-like narratives of these players like a lebron like an otani like a brady winning seven super bowls or mahomes and lamar making the craziest throws you've ever seen it's almost like watching a superhero movie it's the same exact appeal being able to look at these figures the highest level of humanity within them on a play-by-play basis yeah this is wonderful um how has football fandom affected any aspect of your decision making that's a very interesting question i don't think i've ever given thought to that well i have a real good example of how it has affected your life uh-oh. I don't like where this is going. You just applied to some graduate schools and we were so proud that you got into a bunch of them. But of all the universities in the world, you only applied to a few. And one of them happened to be Pittsburgh. I wonder how that pick was made. I mean, yeah. it, it must have had some measure. Yeah. Well, I know we can speak after the fact that, yes, Pittsburgh University is amazing. Carnegie Mellon is amazing, right. especially in computer science. I, I chose one in Pittsburgh, okay? <laughs> yes, yes. So, so there, right there is an example of how subconsciously, at least, it affected you in some way. 
Definitely, definitely. Fantastic. Um, do you think as a fan, are there any negative aspects of it that could become an issue for someone? I do know that it can have its dire effects. And I think the biggest, it's sports gambling. Yeah. Every other commercial when you're watching a game is some, I don't know, FanDuel or DraftKings commercial. I know plenty of people my age that have lost a lot of net earnings, sports betting. Yeah, I agree with you. And there should be conversation both at the individual family and also at the community level about the ups and positives of finding sense of community around teams, but also the negatives, like uh, like you spoke beautifully. Okay, that's uh, that's uh, a look into your fandom life. We'll make sure not to show that picture of you when you were young and facing the wall and no, crying for Steelers. <laughs> yeah, but but nonetheless, hopefully we have more discussions like this. Absolutely. Hopefully we will win the Super Bowl next year. Go Steelers. <laughs> Go we Steelers. will. Go Steelers. The multitude of neuropsychological systems that align to make a football fandom a sociocultural phenomenon is absolutely sublime. It's incredible to think that so many millions of us share in this experience that such a large-scale event can be so competitive and yet so peaceful. It's something we can enjoy freely for our entire life with little to no harmful side effects. Unless you're a Browns fan. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know, I'm so sorry oh for the boy. Browns fans. <laughs> okay. It's true though. Again, I think about Which part? watching... The Browns fans part? Or... I think about watching Argentina with my dad as a child. Just being able to watch a team play thousands of miles away on a TV seemed like a miracle. But now you have multi-camera streams and drones and virtual reality headset, live player data, the online conversations and discourse that can bring the complex dance of neurochemistry and social bonding to our homes when we can't be there to support our favorite teams in person is just wonderful. Sports fandom can sway the atmosphere of entire cities and countries. It can transcend language barriers. It can unite communities. It can provide a platform for world-changing ideas and also give us personal heroes who motivate us to be our best selves. Whether you're a casual fan or a diehard supporter, your passion for the game is a testament to the uniqueness of the human experience and the staggering intricacy of our minds. This has been Your Brain on Football Fandom. We've been your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai, and we'll see you next time. To celebrate the launch of our new podcast, Your Brain On, we're giving away prizes to its earliest listeners like you. Prizes include memberships to our thriving Neuroacademy community and bundles like our Better Brain Cooking Box, Books Bundle, and Better Brain Favorites Box. To enter, all you need to do is subscribe to Your Brain On, leave an honest review of the show on Apple Podcasts, and then sign up for the contest at the website thebraindocs.com forward slash podcast. Find more information in the show notes. Thank you so much for supporting and thank you for listening.